It's great to be here with you this morning. When I was watching that video of all the kids, I thought two things. Number one, uh, I can't believe I have to follow that. And then number two, uh, what a great thing to, to be reminded that really the way that we celebrate Halloween today was actually started by churches in our country. Uh, they were trying to get uh, kids off the streets and, and uh, were able to start this thing that just sort of spread like wildfire all across the, the country. So it's, it's great to see us uh, redeem something that was once ours and uh, use it for God's glory. There was over 200 people in the building yesterday at that event. And so what, what, an, awesome, what an awesome thing. And then as we were worshiping, I couldn't help but just be um, just, just, just so thankful that, that we have a worship leader here, Dave, who has a heart for worship and raising up worship leaders, and uh, that he was willing to, to sit back and play the lead guitar, which he does extremely well, by the way, uh, and, and allow for uh, our students to lead us in worship, and, and what, a, what, a, what a privilege it was to have them do that. Um, I, could, I could see that happening monthly, maybe, or, or whatever. I, I, I just really enjoyed it. You guys think that would be something we could, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you say after I do that, right? Come on, okay. Anyway, we're, 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 in, the, we're in Kingdom Living Volume 1. We're, we're, we're studying the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus' message is recorded for us in Matthew 5 through 7. And over the past few weeks, we've been looking at this topic of the believer's righteousness. The believer's righteousness. And of course, we, we, we started by looking at the fact that being right with God, that's what righteousness means, being right with God, begins with Jesus. And, and so Jesus, in the very beginning, when he, when he introduces this topic of the believer's righteousness, wants us to understand that our righteousness comes from, comes from him. That that's our position, in him we're righteous. When God looks at us, he sees righteous people because of Jesus when we receive him as Lord and Savior. But he's walking us through, if that's who we are positionally in Christ, if, if, if as followers of Christ, God sees us as righteous, Jesus says, then we should grow in being righteous. And so he's going to take us to this place in the message where he talks about this, this self-sacrificing godly love. In fact, our Lord calls his followers to self-sacrificing godly love. And, and the passage we're going to look at is radically countercultural. Radically countercultural. It is so radical that believers are, I believe, are drawn, if you're going to live like the way that we're called to, are drawn ever closer to the Holy Spirit because we realize we can't manufacture this type of love. We can't manufacture this type of righteousness. I, I don't know about you, but have you ever had one of those days where you thought, I'm just going to be loving today? You know, I'm going to be good, I'm going to behave myself. And then, you know, you get an hour in, you go, okay, I'm going to do better. You know, I'm going to really work hard. You know, and you know what I'm talking about. When you try to do those things in your own strength, you're setting yourself up for failure. But when we allow the Spirit of God to work in us, even our failures can be turned around to lessons where we can focus on victory. And, and Jesus has taken us to this, this, this amazing place of what does this radical love look like and he begins, we're going to be looking at Matthew 5, 38 through 48. But the first verse there, verse 38, he's quoting from the Old Testament. And he says, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And in verse 38, he's looking at actually Old Testament law. And we've looked at those three facets, if you will, of Old Testament law. But the two that we'll look at as it pertains to verse 38 is civil law and moral law. Then when we look at the Old Testament, we have what we would call moral law, like Exodus 20, we have the Ten Commandments, and that's the moral law of God, and it's still true for all people everywhere. But then in Exodus 21 through 23, 
we see civil law. Now, what's happening in the civil law? Well, it's taking the moral law of Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments, and it's breaking it down to, to different um, uh, commandments to the to practical law that the young nation of Israel can use in order to be a nation that honors God. And so it's applied. There's standards taken from the moral law uh, that become civil law that was true for them, but not for all people all time. What are we getting at here? Well, what we find from the moral law into the civil law was this, was this understanding that the punishment needed to fit the crime. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Punishment needed to fit the crime. And that the purpose was to restrain evil. There's a purpose for these laws. Now, in the Old Testament, revenge was forbidden. In other words, the courts were to be let to do their job. There was a reason why the court system was set up. And that God was ultimately repay evil. But the Pharisees, so this is context. Remember, we've been looking at this hermeneutical principle, how to study scripture, that context is king. Say it with me, context is king. So what's the context of Christ bringing this up in this part of personal righteousness? It's because the Pharisees and the scribes had misinterpreted, they're the religious leaders of the day, they had misinterpreted and were misteaching the principle here. That revenge and retaliation, that the, that the legal system were to take care of such things. And if someone was wronged, it was to be taken care of through the legal system. But the Pharisees and the scribes were teaching that it, it went to the realm of personal relationships. So they took it basically out of the courts where it belongs to personal relationships where it doesn't belong. And so what Jesus is doing is correcting this misinterpretation and misteaching. It's not a new teaching. In fact, in Leviticus 19.18, you read, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. I don't know how you misinterpret that. It says, do not take vengeance or hold a grudge. Think about that one. And yet the Pharisees and scribes had misused this, the teaching of the Old Testament to make it something that it wasn't. So Jesus isn't contradicting the Old Testament. He's actually contradicting the Pharisees and scribes. He's saying this, this is a misteaching. And he's talking about personal relationships here. And we'll, we'll break that down a little more in a moment. But in verses 39 through 42, listen to what Jesus says. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone sues you and takes your tunic, offer him your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse to one who would borrow from you. And so Jesus talks about not resisting people. Now, I, I want to clarify something here. Resist doesn't mean don't avoid. The way the word resist is used here is revenge, retaliation is what Jesus is talking about. And Jesus presents something, again, quite radical and countercultural that we're not to resist, we're not to find retaliation or revenge toward an evil person. In fact, in scripture, it's very clear that there's one person we should never resist and another one we should. We should never resist God. We should never resist God and his, 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 his word, you know, his instruction to us, but we should resist the devil. As <laughs> a matter of fact, John Stott notes, he says, what we, are what we are forbidden to resist is not evil as such, evil in the abstract, nor the evil one, meaning the devil, but an evil person. We're, we're not to seek retaliation. We're not to seek a retribution from an evil person. 
So Jesus doesn't deny the reality of evil. In fact, he doesn't even deny us the right to be able to see something and say they're acting evilly, but what they're doing is wrong. What Jesus does not allow is revenge and retaliation in our personal relationships. And remember, it's important to remember Jesus is speaking in context of our personal relationships. Jesus is not speaking of government. He's not speaking of courts and the military and police. These things have been instituted in order to make sure that our culture is living right. But he is talking about our personal relationships and not take these things into our own hands. And he really shares four examples of a radical love over revenge. And I think we would all agree it is quite radical. What about personal insults? He says, well, turn the other cheek. What about lawsuits? He says, well, give them your cloak as well. <laughs> what about forced action? He says, go to second mile. What about requests? He says, give to anyone who asks. Now, there's context here. When the individuals who first heard Jesus say this, they understood the context, that the things that he said were, were culturally moored into the, into the culture of Christ's day. And, and so we need to understand this too, or we can misinterpret what's happening here. For instance, he's not saying if someone asks for your car, you've got to give it to them. You know, I thought I'd hear an amen or two after that one. He, he's, he's, not, he's not saying that. So let me pick a couple of the common ones. He says, turning the other cheek. How many of you find that to be a little difficult when you hear it? Okay, turning the other cheek. Turning the other cheek is not a command, by the way, to endure physical abuse. Uh, and and it's still in the Middle East today, it represents an insulting, uh, an, an, an insulting blow, if you will, followed by verbal insults. It, but, you're, but you're physically not in jeopardy. The only way I can really think about explaining it is maybe you saw in an old movie where an individual takes off a glove and slaps the other in the face for a duel. Now look, the person who got slapped in the face with a glove is not physically injured. They're just ticked off, right? Let's be honest. And, and usually in the movies, they fight. Jesus is saying, basically, if someone ticks you off, don't lower yourself to their level. You know, off from the other cheek. Be, be bigger than this. Show love in, 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 in the response to this thing. How about going the second mile? I've heard people say, you need to go the second mile. Well, well Jesus uh, is speaking to a culture who understood that under Roman law, Roman soldiers were able to ask Roman subjects to carry their pack, but only up to a mile. They weren't allowed to ask beyond a mile. And so if a Roman soldier is walking down the road and he sees a Jewish man, and he, he's, he may say to that Jewish man, he may say, look, you need to carry my pack and you need to carry it for a mile. He couldn't ask him to do it further than that, but he could ask for the mile and he needed to do it. And so what Jesus is saying, if you're asked to carry a, a, one of the soldiers' pack for a mile, you're probably tempted to tell him a thing or two on that trip. You know, as you're walking, you're, 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 you were commanded to carry it, not be quiet while you did. He says, but blow his mind, blow his mind. When you get to the end of the mile and he goes for his pack, go, you know what, I'm going to carry it another. I'm going to carry it too. Why? To show love. To purposely blow their mind. And when he says something like, why would you do that? Go, thanks for asking. Let me tell you. And so this is the picture Jesus is giving. The, the Pharisees and the scribes are talking about revenge and retaliation, and Jesus is talking about love. Now, what Jesus isn't talking about is being a doormat. No one respects a doormat. That, that's, not what he, that's not what he's calling us to. He's not calling us to, to allow ourselves to be verbally or physically abused. He's not calling us to do that. He, he would say avoid such things. But what he is calling us to do is be empowered by the Holy Spirit 
and to offer up this, this God type of love when we're tempted to seek revenge, when we're, seek, when we're tempted to seek retaliation. And revenge, really simply put, is wanting to inflict pain on someone who's inflicted pain on you. And Jesus is saying, Let, let's rise above that through the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember, he's talking about personal relationships here. He isn't talking about going to the court if your rights have been violated. He's not talking about anything. He's talking about personal relationships and saying, don't take the law into your own hands. In fact, not only don't take the law into your own hands, learn how to love so extremely that it blows the mind of the people around you. Again, Jesus is not prohibiting the administration of justice, but rather forbidding that we, that we become the justice. And here's the point. Jesus declares that believers are to, follow, are to allow the principle of love, godly, selfless love, to direct their, their actions. That, that we would seek the well-being of others instead of taking revenge. And so Jesus makes a further statement in verse 43. You have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And so here, here's the statement. He says, you've heard it said, much like he started with an eye for an eye or two for two. He says, you heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. And, and the Pharisees had incorrectly taught that the neighbors, that neighbors were fellow Jews. In fact, the Pharisees had even narrowed it even to the point to where they said, really your neighbor's only someone living the way you like them to live. Can you imagine? I mean, they just narrowed it. They said, well, okay, not just Jews, but you know those tax collectors, those other people. No, they're not your neighbor either. And so they really narrowed it down to say, love people who you want to love. If they're loving towards you, love them. And, and, and of course, Jesus is correcting that. The Old Testament actually taught what? That we're to love our neighbor as ourselves. Leviticus 19. And then do good to our enemy. In fact, listen to this verse from Proverbs 25, 21. If your, enemy, if your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. And we've looked through this, this series on the, on the Sermon on the Mount, and I've shared over and over again because it's so important. That some people think that the New Testament is, 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 a, is the book of love, right? And the Old Testament is the book of law. And yet what we find in Scripture is the whole, all of Scripture is law and love, and that they don't contradict one another. But that, that they both are are honoring to God when we're looking at them the way God calls us to look at them. And so look how Jesus continues in, in the rest of our passage here in verses 44 through 48. Jesus is, is preaching. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. I want to camp there for a minute because I know that's your favorite verse in Scripture. But, but I, I want to camp there because I think we, we want to understand the perspective that Christ is sharing. I, I think all of us in this room want people to be just toward us, right? How many of you guys want people to... We didn't have to teach our kids and we didn't have to learn as kids what the word fair meant, right? That's not fair. Now, by the way... I want you to be fair to me. I don't want you to hold me accountable if I'm not fair to you. Come on, church. Right? Fairness, usually in humans, is a one-way street. You be fair to me, let me do what I want. And, and what Jesus is pointing out is, is, is the way life really works, that there's unfair treatment all over the place that because of sin, that we live in a fallen world. And so maybe you've looked at the world and thought, you know, God, if you loved us, it just doesn't seem fair that bad things happen to good people. 
Ever said that? Ever thought that? If you haven't, you're the only one. We've all thought that. And yet when we understand Scripture, we, understand, we, we can come to an understanding of why things are the way they are and why things are going to be the way they are, are going to be. When we look at the fact that we don't live in paradise, have you guys realized that? Did you need me to tell you that? This isn't heaven yet, right? We don't live in paradise, but we were created for paradise. And so we have a sort of a, a compass, an inner compass that understands what fair is. And when we look at the world around us, what do we find? The rain sometimes falls upon the good and the bad. Sometimes the good seem like, uh, like they're getting all the rain. And sometimes a bad person seems like they're getting blessing. And we're like, this, this isn't making any sense. Why doesn't God just wipe out all the unjust in the world? And the answer is, because if he did, we'd be gone. Come on. We're unjust. And so Peter lets us in on a little secret. He writes, he says, it's not that Jesus isn't being lazy and coming back and taking care of all the unjust. It's that he loves people so much that he's waiting to give everyone an opportunity to receive him as Lord and Savior. See, when Jesus returns, the choice is over. You've either received him or you haven't. And so Jesus is patient, not with the unjust actions, but with the unjust people, which is us. So he waits. And so what happens on this side of paradise? Good things happen to bad people. Bad things happen to good people. And so Jesus says, so he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if you love those who love you, remember back to love, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? Tax collectors have always gotten a bad rap. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. So Jesus teaches us to love our enemies. What's he say? He says, pray for those who persecute you. Live as children of our Heavenly Father. As Christians, express a love that's broader and more thorough than others. And then be perfect as your Heavenly Father is perfect. We'll look at and unpack in just a moment. But he's given us this picture. Remember the Pharisees. They said, love those who are lovable. And Jesus says, well, that's not challenging. If people are bathing you in love and they respond back in love, he says, Everyone can do, anyone can do that. Even those who don't know Jesus. He says, but here, here's the challenge. Here's the call. Love those who aren't so lovable. In fact, love those who aren't treating you lovingly. In, in other words, we're to love like God loves. And, and God, when he loves, how does he love? He hates the sin, but he loves the sinner. He hates sin. And, and, and it makes sense he hates sin because sin separates us from him. The wage of sin is death. So, of course, he hates sin but he loves people. And he says, we too should love people. Now, to love people who do evil is the desire that they repent, believe, and be saved. And, and we gotta be really clear on this because in 2021, I'm not so sure our culture understands that. That to love people doesn't mean we need to love what they do. In fact, to love someone doesn't mean we necessarily agree with what they're doing. And so the question always is, well, by whose standard is right and wrong? How do we, how, you know, I want to love the person, but when, what does it mean to hate the sin? Well, this is a good start. The Bible tells us right and wrong. And as we get in Scripture and understand what's right and wrong, that's what we, that's what we shoot for, right, church? And that's what we pray for. So when we see people living contrary, we don't hate them. We love them. When we pray that God would work in their life, that God would transform them, God never taught a double standard of morality. He never taught us to, to love our neighbor and hate our enemy, in part because our enemy is our neighbor. 
And so he teaches us to love. He teaches us to care for those around us. And Jesus declares that believers are to love everyone, enemies included, in tangible acts, words, and prayers. I'm reminded of this passage, Paul's writing to the Christians in Rome, and he writes in, in, in Romans 5.10. He says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. What's Paul writing about here? He's saying while we were enemies of God, he sent his son to die for us. I'm so thankful he didn't say, you know what, I'll wait until they get their act together. Because it was never going to happen. And everyone in this room who's a follower of Christ knows that there was a time in your life where you didn't give a rip about him. You did your own thing. And what scripture tells us is God was madly pursuing you then. Madly pursuing you. That when Jesus died on the cross, he died on the cross for those who were, who were casting insults at him. And, and so it's the picture of God's love. What is, what is God saying to us? He's saying, listen, Jesus is preaching to us. He's saying, love people the way I preach. I mean, the way I love. And, and when you think of Jesus, I, I say this almost every week because it's such a profound truth. God didn't just say he loved us. He demonstrated us, demonstrated it to us. So we're to love people in what? Loving acts. We're to love people with loving words. We're to love people with prayer, loving prayers. Jesus, I shared this a couple weeks ago, but it's so germane to what we're looking at. He's hanging on the cross. People are, are, are yelling insults at him. And he says what? Father, forgive them for they know not what they're doing. Now the gospel writer wanted us to understand that Jesus had all the power in the world for revenge and retaliation. He, it says he could have called down legions of heaven and said, sick them. Sick them. Now, by the way, me, apart from the Holy Spirit, if I were on that cross, that's what I would have done if I had that power. And you would have too. You would have went sick them. That's what they deserve. But Jesus doesn't pray for what they deserve. He prays for what his heart longs for them. Father, forgive them. They know not what they're doing. And that's our example. This profound example. John Stott observes, he says, it is impossible to pray for people without loving them and impossible to go on praying for them without discovering that our love for them grows and matures. And I shared this already, but I, I got to share it again because it's so to the point. I remember when this, when this lesson was profoundly introduced into my life. I was being uh, mistreated by, a, by an individual who was a part of sort of our friend group. Uh, his name was Shane. You don't know him, so it doesn't matter. Uh, but he, he, was, he, was, he was really being mean. In fact, the biblical word is he was such a jerk. I mean, he was just a jerk. He, he, was, he was spreading lies about me, rumors. I mean, he was treating me horribly. And, and I remember going to a mentor of mine and said, I don't know what to do about this. And he said, pray for him. And I thought, well, I've been praying for him. I've been praying, God, get him. <laughs> you know, I told him, I said, you know, what he's doing is wrong. And I've been praying, God, take care of him, right? You're my father, man. Punished a dude. And, and he said, let me, let me challenge you <laughs> a little bit. He said, pray God's blessing on him. And I remember my first thought was, say what? <laughs> pray a blessing on him. Did, I, did you not just hear what I shared with you, with the way he's treating me? And he said, yeah, God wants you to pray a blessing on him. God, you don't know his heart. You don't know what's going on with him, but, but he, needs, he needs to be right with Jesus. Pray a blessing on him. So my first prayer, I remember that night, was this. God, make me willing to be willing to pray a blessing on him. 
That was my first prayer. I wasn't all willing right there. So I was like, God, change my heart because I have to have a different heart if I'm going to pray this prayer and really mean it. And you know what he did? And so I began to pray, Lord, change his heart, you know, work in him. And the whole time he's still treating me poorly. He's still lying, still doing all that stuff. And so I'm not seeing any outward difference at all. <laughs> and God's like, still pray for him. Pray a blessing on him. Well, one day I'm with a bunch of the guys and, and they're talking about how mean this guy is and what, what's going on with him and bad-mouthing him. And the words came out of my mouth. You don't know his heart. Remember the words the mentor spoke to me? You don't know his heart. You don't know what's going on. They were Christians. I was a Christian. We need to pray for him. And when the words came out of my mouth, I thought, who just said that? <laughs> I mean, I almost wanted to look around and say, is there someone behind me? Because I, I can't believe that came out of my mouth. But it was because of God, not me. God had changed my heart. Stott also observes, he says, divine love is indiscriminate love, shown equally to good and bad people. <laughs> Isn't that the truth? What challenge is it to pray a blessing on someone who treats you well? So much more difficult and so much more dependent on God, aren't we? When we pray a prayer to pray a blessing on someone who treats you like garbage. <laughs> but this is the picture of how Christ loves us. And it's what he means when he says, be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. None of us are going to be God. None of us are going to be perfect like God. But we're being perfected. And so in our love, we may say, you know, my love isn't where it needs to be, but it's not where it used to be. Uh, my love is being perfected in me. I'm becoming more and more like Jesus. I mean, I still challenge. This is still a challenge to me. It's not like I learned the lesson and then I mastered the lesson. There's a difference, right? So I learned the lesson, and I still learn the lesson. I, I learn the lesson every, every time I'm driving and someone cuts me off. I learn the lesson. I, I learn the lesson every time um, uh, someone does something, and my first thought is, ugh. You know, not even, no, no words, just, ugh. And then the Spirit convicts me. Conviction's a blessing, right, church? When the hair on the back of my head goes up, and the few I have left, and they go up, and and it's like the Spirit goes, what's going on in you? What's going on? Okay, Lord, make me willing to be willing. You know, and I pray a prayer for that driver. May they run out of gas soon. You know, I, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I'm still a work in progress. But, but we pray, we, 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 Lord, please, you've loved me so profoundly. If I claim to be your follower, help me share your love with those around me. Christ calls us to have and express his self-sacrificing, godly love to all people. He gives us this principle of love, which is this godly, selfless love and, that looks for the well-being of the people around us, to, to love everyone, you know, in, in words and acts and prayers, to, to express his self-sacrificing love. But, but there's a problem, and the problem's this, that all human love, even the best human love, is contaminated by a level of self-interest. It really is. No matter how well-intended we are. You know, we, we love somebody and we expect a thank you. We love somebody and when they don't necessarily treat us well, we're like, well, I won't do that again. So what's the solution? The solution is being dependent on God's spirit. Again, we can't manufacture this love. It's not something we can just create and set our mind to. I'm determined I'm going to be like God and, and love the way he loves. We've got to surrender ourselves to God. We've got to say, Lord, by your spirit's power, 
first make me willing to be willing and then take me into the depths of your love so that I can understand how much you love me so that then I can love others with the love that you've poured into my life. It's countercultural. It's, 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 it's mind-blowing to those who don't know Jesus. And it's what Jesus in the, in the past four weeks, really, we've been looking at this personal righteousness of the believer. And it's where he leads us to. He starts with what? He starts us at this place where he says, our righteousness comes from him. That when we enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ, what happens when we say yes to him? He clothes us in his righteousness. When God sees us, he sees us through the lens of Jesus. Is that not good news? We're made right because of him. And yet the reality of it, it we, we doesn't mean we always act right. <laughs> and so Jesus has challenged us. He says, my followers, not only do they understand that God made him in no sin, which is Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin so we can be the righteousness of God, so we can be clothed in his righteousness, but so that the very Spirit's power within us can help us become more loving. That we can actually live who we are in him. Not out of fear, by the way. Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So it's not like I better be loving or God's gonna sick me. No, no. It's not to earn anything because we've already received all things in Christ Jesus. Amen, church? It's because as we fall deeper in love with God, he gives us his heart, which is a heart to love those around us. Especially maybe those who are furthest from him but are so close to his heart. <laughs> That's why I say every week we gather to scatter. We're, we're blessed to be blessed. We're loved to be loving. And so I don't know where you are this morning, but whether you're here on the Canandaigua campus, online, Hopewell campus, if you've yet to really receive God's love, I pray this morning you'll do that. You'll say yes to Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. And for those of us who have, maybe your first prayer this morning is simply, Lord, make me willing to be willing. That's okay. God always meets us where we're at and then takes us places we never dreamt we could go without him. So wherever you find yourself, let's pray together this morning and ask that he would take us on this great sacred journey with him. Father God, thank you so much for the joy of being here this morning with my church family. Thank you for allowing us to come and be reminded of just how magnificent you are as we sing these worship songs. Thank you for letting us hear testimonies and being able to even see you, you working through your people to, to reach out into our community. God, thank you for our, your words to us. That as we read these words of love, the love that you call us to, we realize that you call us to it because that's the love you've given to us, that, that you love us so extravagantly that you call us as your people to love extravagantly. We can't do it in our own strength. We can't do it in our own power. In fact, we can't do it at all without you. And so, Lord, I do pray, if anyone has yet to receive you as Lord and Savior, or even now in the quietness of our heart, they'd say yes to you, but they'd enter into that relationship that you've created them for. God, for those of us who've made that decision, this is a challenging message. It calls us to go beyond ourselves, to be relying upon you, to be dependent upon your spirit in order to display your character, your love to the world around us. 
God, would you take us further when we ever dreamt we can go with you? Instead of resentment, would you allow us to forgive? So many times, God, we think forgiveness is, 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 is hurting other people. It only hurts us. Unforgiveness is hurting other people. It only hurts us. So God, would you make us people who are forgivers? People who don't retaliate. People, Lord God, who, man, just ooze your love. And God, it's only possible because you first loved us. And we praise you for that. We praise you for that. In Jesus' name, amen.